0: Hey, Brian, have yeah. you heard about the gel? Yeah, the gel? Yeah, like are, are the you, HGH gel. Are you gelling? I am not gelling. Are you gelling? I'm not gelling. You need to be gelling. <laughs> so if you want to get on the gel, get on thegel.com and gelrob.com. G-E-L-R-O-B.com. Check out all of the information promo codes on our website, which is...
1: twofitcrazies.com.
0: It's Christine Conte. And
1: I'm Brian Prendergast. And we
0: are two Fit Crazies. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Brian, we're coming off a hot episode sixty. Sixty. With Lorna S- Clydeman. That
1: was really cool. She was fun. Awesome.
0: I have have a new I've started it's funny in the last week since we've had that episode. I'm like, hey, let's use these kettlebells more. <laughs> hey, let's because you you know, for you you get kind of inspired by some of our guests and and you know you start infusing things that you haven't used in a while or you know um, it's great for us like we're I, just getting
1: I use the heck excited. out of the kettlebells I mean two three days a week really to supplement the sixty mm-hmm. eight something miles of running that I'll be doing this week
0: you could ex- you were excited about the kettlebells anyway because no, no, you no. love them yeah, You yeah. were like a little giddy about talking about kettlebells and it Lauren is, is a three time world champion and it's like, it's it's like cool. you know,
1: people that like to talk about cars or yeah. motorcycles or, you know, anything mm. like that. It's like kettlebells. Yeah.
0: We're like running. <laughs> <laughs> Nutrition. <gasps> you know, yeah, it's fine. But that's why we do what we do. If, if we were excited about that, we'd be podcasting about, you know, Mustangs and classic cars. But here we are. We're talking about the body and the mind.
1: That's right. I don't
0: know what's more important.
1: I do. The body and the mind. Of course it yeah. is.
0: There you go. So if you haven't gotten a chance to check out episode 60, please do. Lorna's got, I mean, a great story as well about overcoming obstacles. And again, if you're someone who's like, hey, you know what? I've got this ailment or this physical thing or whatnot. Lorna worked her hiney off for years. She worked her lungs out. Yeah. So she going went, she
1: went from childhood asthma to um, world record holder in kettlebell snatch.
0: And not just like asthma, like, oh I can't breathe. No. Asthma, like legit asthma that was debilitating and she couldn't run or get her heart rate up or and um she damn it, she wasn't having it.
1: Uh uh-uh. uh. It's a great story. Pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: Listen to it. Onward and upward to episode sixty one. We're gonna be at a hundred before you know it. Do you understand think, this? Yeah, no,
1: no, we're grinding. The
0: freaking list of episode uh guests is just unreal. So everyone better hold on to their hats because it's getting good. It's getting good. Uh-huh. So we brought back Dr. Jason Carp who we haven't talked to really. It was 9 months ago. Um it feels like an eternity.
1: Episode 20 was his last uh, appearance on the show. A lot show. has happened yeah.
0: since then. We're we're like Reinvented ourselves. I mean, with the podcast, we're now. You are like weren't even an Iron Man. No, back then. I wasn't even an Iron Man back then, and we hadn't even come up with a uh, an actual presentation, like a two hour presentation on podcast. We now po- we now talk and teach about podcasting. What? Uh huh.
1: Christine, for, just to fill you in on that, Christine went to uh, the SCW Mania conference in Chicago uh, this past weekend. Mm-hmm. You like how I said Chicago? Yeah. I don't even know why I came out like that. I'm like from Jersey <laughs> through and through, and and I came out of Chicago, okay. uh, the Bears. So uh, Christine uh, presented on podcasting one on one to the
0: fitness industry. Yeah, and it's and it's recorded and it's on demand. Like you can actually find it and you know and watch that.
1: My That's exact really cool. my exact instructions were Christine, don't embarrass me.
0: You did not. No, say I that.
1: know I didn't say that. You would never.
0: It was great. It was great. It was really awesome. So, that's something um, in the future. Brian and I are definitely. She's an authority. Looking into, uh, you know, getting out that platform for people that, that want to learn more about podcasting or just building their brand. Um, you know, that we will be doing some workshops in the future about that. We'll do some online stuff. So, look out for that. It's coming. It's coming down the road. But how did we get out? Are we got, because we're talking about Dr. Carp. Yeah. Um, it is the season because it's fall here. And, races. I actually was out in Chicago during the Chicago, Chicago Marathon, Marathon, which I ran last year and it was it was so hard to be out there with all the runners and not like knowing I'm not running. I'm even though I was there yeah. in a fitness conference like promoting fitness, like it was whew. I even had to get up early on Sunday before my um lectures and I had to go for a run. No, because knowing that everyone else is out running, like I oh, I had to do it. I've got to run that race.
1: It was it was um you haven't I, run Chicago. I have never run Chicago. Oh, you were gonna love it. Yeah, love it. I uh, was actually could have run it this year. I was signed up to run it last year, and I was I was injured, and I just pushed it back. I ran Philly instead, which is like six weeks later. So I just bought myself some time and stayed local and uh, and ran Philly. Uh, so I, I, I maybe next year. I don't know. I'm running Philly next, and then Boston, and then maybe Chicago. Chicago. We'll see. We'll see. But anywho, Dr. Jason Karp was really awesome once again. Tons of information. A lot of really, really technical, uh, high-end running information, biomechanics, uh, we get into uh, just a number of topics, just running related. And and, uh, and we
0: disagree. We have some agree to disagree moments because, you know, Carp is going to talk about, you know, running and really getting into specifics about running. And Brian and I, you know, definitely have questions because we, we believe that you should be doing some strength training as well. So, you know, he talks about the research that's out there. And um, I think it's an interesting conversation to have, especially as – you know, someone in the fitness world, or if you are a runner, or even if you're not.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think that that a lot of the you know a lot of it just comes from uh, you know his his studies. He's he's in it. He's a you know he's a um, he's a uh, multi
0: book author. That's right. I mean, the creator of Revolution Running. I mean, he knows his run stuff. your fat off. Yeah. The inner runner.
1: The inner runner. Yeah. So it's a good listen, and uh, you know, and he's and we're grateful that he takes the time to come on with us. It's uh, it's it's always fun to, to to chat with him, and he's a local guy, you know, compared to where we live. So
0: now he lives in San Diego. Now but. He lives
1: in San Diego, so uh, we gave him some home cooking a little bit here on uh, episode sixty one. So please take a listen and enjoy.
0: County. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are to Fit Crazy. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Brian. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good.
1: Like we just said, it's like uh, running in a sauna out there. We got dew point up in the 70s, which makes things a little
0: difficult It's for like me. mid-October. I know. And it's like, I'm over it. It's like Jamaica weather, like 100% humidity, like 80 million degrees. This is bizarre.
1: It's like the best of times and the worst of times. You know, on one hand, I'm still in flip-flops. Right.
0: And on the other hand... You can't you know, <laughs> I can't breathe. Yeah. I can't breathe. Oh, man. <laughs> Hysterical. But, uh, yeah, so we're talking running today because, you know what's super exciting? is that we get to catch up with the Dr. Jason Karp is back with us to uh, to fill us in on everything that has been going on on his end because the last time we had him on, we spoke to him, was what, nine months ago, Brian? Is I that think what you said? so, yeah. Holy
1: Episode 20? Jeez, uh, We're up to
0: 61, Doc. Welcome back. Welcome.
2: So having me back, I can't believe you want me back after my first time.
0: Yeah, well, we got a lot to catch up on. And, you know, you've been jet setting all, all around and working with a lot of very successful runners. And, you know, tis the running season right now. So it's, um, you know, it's great for our listeners to really, you know, get some great tips from you and, you know, hear about how they can improve their game. Because most people right now are, you know, kind of getting the running bug. Of you know there's a lot of races I know in, in our area and all over the place um so it's it's always great to catch up and you know to uh, be able to pick your great mind with all your experience and um and uh everything. oh my gosh, so how are you doing?
2: Good, everything's rocking and rolling I'm traveling around the country and the world, spreading the certification program and doing a lot of work and uh, coaching a lot, coaching an elite team, getting ready for some big marathons coming up.
0: Oh, I love it. So now it's been, so it's been like nine months. So we've, I would say, have a uh, have a lot of new listeners since the last time you were on. So do me a favor for all of the, you know, everyone out there that has not yet gone back and listened to episode 20 or, you know, started with us late. Um, will you just tell everyone about your program, what it's called, what you do real fast?
2: Uh, sure. Well, the certification program is called Revolution Running. It is an acronym for Running Economy, VO2 Max, Lactate Threshold, which are the, the three physiological factors that influence running performance. So we spent a lot of time talk about those factors and how to train those factors. And so the program, I'm happy to say, is so far in 21 countries around the world, and, and uh, it's offered three different levels: a Level One Live Course, a Level Two Home Study Course, and a Level Three Mentorship with me one on one. So I'm really excited about it, and Trying to spread it as far around the world as possible.
0: So, tell everyone why they would why they would take this course. Whether you know what what are they going to get from this? How's it going to change their lives? I guess.
2: Well, there's many reasons. So, uh, we offer two different levels of registration. One is for fitness professionals and coaches. So, fitness professionals, if they want to start running programs at the gyms that they work, or they want to have their own a uh, training group franchise, they could do that or teach treadmill classes in gyms, and then coaches, of course, so that they can help their athletes be better and faster runners. And then also runners are able to attend the course just because they want to learn how to be better runners. So we spend a lot of time talking about the training, how to write workouts, how to design training programs. So even people who are outside of the industry who want to learn how to be better runners can definitely benefit from sitting in on the course.
1: It, it is super thorough. I mean it is soup to nuts and everything in between. It's um it's a great certification. I you know, I, I know that just, just reading the information and, and uh, going through it, um, you know, it's it's definitely something for you know, just that the trainers would really benefit from it, absolutely. Uh, but as a runner and just seeing these things and on you know and, and, and just really being able to um, use it to enhance your own performance, it's amazing.
0: So tell me real fast, why I know that a lot of, you know, a lot of trainers and we've talked about this in the last year, a lot of trainers are like, or people in general, like, I don't need to learn about running. I could just run or what, what is it that people are missing? Like what? I mean, obviously it's super thorough and I think, you know, everyone should be everyone out. I'm talking to fitness professionals, coaches of any sport. It doesn't even have to be, you know, just you know, coaches that coach track or cross country, everybody needs to be educated about running. What is it that they're not, what is it that they're missing that they're, that they need to know?
2: Well, that's a great question. I'm a, and most people know my very direct eye, so I'll give a direct answer. What they're, <laughs> what they're missing is the physiology. I mean, running is because there's not a whole lot going on. There's no implements. There's no balls or equipment. There's no team strategy like in other sports. Running is very important, sure. so it's all about the physiology. It's all about the conditioning. The bodies are science. It's all biology. It's physiology. It's biomechanics. It's why I study exercise physiology. You take classes in a lot of different disciplines because it's is biochemistry. There's a lot going on. It's anatomy. It's that solid foundation. There's a there are physiological factors that influence running performance. You don't just go run a race at arbitrary paces. It's all tied to your physiology. And so to train somebody effectively, it's for performance or it's for weight loss, there's a lot to know. There's a lot of physiology to know and and uh, you know, understanding training principles and and so that's really the, the, the thing that most people are missing in this industry is that they haven't really studied the physiology behind what they're doing. Everybody knows, oh, you just go out and run. But there's a way to organize the training in such a way to get the best results, a way to do workouts to get the best results. You have to know why you're doing what you're doing. And when you know that, that empowers you and it opens up a door for you that remains otherwise closed if you don't have the information available to you.
1: So, so give us an example of the physio- of the physiology uh, that you're referring to, just in one way that you think maybe people are not seeing it.
2: Uh, well, for example, like one of the things I see that, that runners do wrong a lot is, is how they do their workouts. Like they just run arbitrary paces for their workouts, but to, when you understand the physiology, then that dictates how you do the workout. So one example is, like let's just pull you know, just one random example, you know, to train VO2 max. And there's a way to do VO2max workouts and you understand, well, what are the physiological factors that influence VO2max? On one hand, you have stroke volume and cardiac output, so that represents the strength of the heart, the ability for the heart to pump blood and pump oxygen. And on the other hand, you have blood flow to the working muscles, which is influenced by blood cell content and hemoglobin inside the red blood cells. And then on the third hand, you have what the muscles are able to do to consume that oxygen that's being delivered to it. And so that has to do with the number of mitochondria that you have and the muscle capillarization to deliver the oxygen to the muscle tissue. And so when you know all the different parts that influence the O2 Max, then you can dictate how you train. So if you want to focus on the cardiac output and stroke volume, there are ways to do workouts to make a bigger heart, to make your stroke volume and cardiac output larger so that the heart delivers, it sends more blood to the working muscle. And so there are specific ways to do those kinds of interval workouts. S-
1: so such this- as, if you don't mind me stopping you, such as
2: I can talk about this stuff all day if you guys will know. <laughs> so you know just like if you want to make a bigger, stronger biceps you have to lift a weight that is heavier than what your biceps are used to lifting. You have to work at the maximum capability for your biceps to do their job. So it's the same thing with the heart. If you want to make a bigger, stronger heart that can pump more blood and more oxygen with each beat, then you have to run at the intensity at which you reach the maximum capability for your heart to do its job. So you do your workouts at maximum heart rate. So when you do an interval workout to train VO2 max, you want to reach maximum heart rate during each rep but you want to only run at the slowest that you need to to reach that heart rate. So one example is how to do workouts correctly. So if you're, say your VO2 max pace is six minute pace and you do half mile reps at three minutes each, then all you need to run is at three minutes per half mile. It's better to run more reps doing them at the right pace than to do fewer reps at faster than the right pace. So if your VO2 max pace is six minute pace and you do the half mile reps at three minutes, if you're doing 252s, then you're not going to be able to run as many reps. And so when you're training, it's always better to add more volume at the right pace than to run faster than you need. You only need to run as fast as you need to meet the purpose of the workout and the purpose is to train VO2 max, and all you need to do is run at VO2 max pace and do as many reps as you can at the right pace.
0: I have a quick question. I'm sorry to butt in here, but what are people doing wrong? Like, What is the average trainer doing incorrectly? (laughs)
2: Uh, Well, I mean, that opens up a can of worms, because there's a lot going on. I mean, from not understanding how to do the workouts correctly, to not understanding how to design the entire training program, and where to place the workouts, like, there's a reason to do this workout on this day, at this time of the training. And when you don't have a background in the subject, that's where it gets difficult. I mean, there's lots of training programs that people can find online, but there's not a lot of science between those training programs. So there's a lot going on about how to design the training program and the placement of those workouts and then how to put it all together. There's both an art and a science to the training.
1: So, and, and even with that, I mean, how much of it is because they're just, you know, grabbing arbitrary numbers? And, you know, how much of it is based on uh, a, a goal time? Or, or how much of what you would say with VO2 Max, uh, you know, should be based on, you know, the ultimate goal of a finish time, which is kind of a guess in the beginning. Uh, you know, I would like to run this, therefore my should be running these times in in, in you know, in, in training. You know, how much of it do you see getting away from that, just kinda checking the box and just moving down and, and, and making pace uh, you know, pace evaluations based on a finish time as opposed to where they are right now, what can be done to develop and things like that. Well, yeah, and that's exactly the way most
2: people approach it. So the the races actually tell you your fitness level, and that's what dictates your training pace, is not the other way around. So the best way to determine what pace to run for workouts is just run some low-key race somewhere because a race is the best fitness test. You know, that's going to tell you exactly where your fitness lies right now. So rather than try to reach for some arbitrary time that you want to run, it's better to train based on where you are now and focus on the physiological factors that influence performance so that you can run faster in the future. You know, most people just decide, oh, I want to run a four-hour marathon. But, you know, they may or may not be capable of doing that at that moment. And, And so that's what leads to running at the wrong paces for different kinds of workouts. It's always better to, you know, I always use the example of you know, creating more assembly lines. If you want to create more products at the end of an assembly line, which is the better strategy to have that one assembly line and move it faster or to create multiple assembly lines all working at the right pace? Obviously, the answer is the the latter. And that's what you do when you train. You add more assembly lines. And so that way you can add more products at the end of that assembly line.
0: I'm going to pump your program for a second. And here's why. All the time, all the time, People you know want to find out about fitness and I think that it's great that there's all these five Ks and all these races I am totally for them because if anyone's moving and if you get excited I don't care what you're doing I want you to move I mean that's why we have this damn podcast like, for you know why we came up with this because we want to inspire people we want to give you guys ideas I think though and it happens to me all the time people come up and say you know Christine I want to do a 5k I want to train for a half what do I do now I run and I've right now I have a pretty good resume and experience of running, right? But right. right like but the issue is is that I'm not your normal trainer. You know, like I'm not the norm. The normal trainer has is not a runner. They're not someone who has extensive experience even, you know, taking courses or studying the body or and I think that that is the major issue because people now are going to these you know, self-proclaimed professionals. Just because you're a personal trainer or you're in the fitness industry, it's, doesn't mean that you have the knowledge base to get someone. And I like to say this word safely and effectively to reach their goals. Because then you're kind of making stuff up. Like it's almost like, well, you know, let's try and do this, or you know, I don't know. I think I, just, I
1: agree wholeheartedly. Right? I mean, the stuff that I hear in the gym coming out of trainers' mouths. And, and and I think that the flip side of that is is I think that a lot of times that the trainers the ego won't allow them to say hey that's not my expertise that's not my specialty I don't really know that very well they're gonna give the you know the advice that they can it's 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 silly um, you know and, and you can kind of see it. Especially when you know, like the local, I pick on CrossFitters all the time, Doctor Jason Karp. I'm sorry, (laughs) but uh, you know when you see the the group of of CrossFitters come to the local 5K, you know whether it's the benefit of you know whatever they're there for, whatever brought them there. There's usually they usually come in packs and uh, and and they they don't run very well, and you know their training isn't um, doesn't allow them to run very well. That's not really what they do. you know, so I, I think that it it is a benefit that you know obviously seek qualified help. You know, I wouldn't have uh, the uh, you know a mechanic can be a mechanic, right? A mechanic might fix a car, he might fix a, a, you know airplane. Some, an airplane or a refrigerator of some sort. You know what I mean? He might be good with tools, it doesn't make him good with all tools. Correct? Yeah, I mean that really hits the point of the the biggest
2: issue in the industry and. And what makes it worse is social media. You know, I've been saying for a long time that in most other professions, you have to be educated. You want to be a lawyer. You want to be a physical therapist. You want to be an architect, an accountant. All these people went to school specifically for that profession. But when it comes to the fitness industry or the run coaching industry, you know, every Instagram runner is now a coach. And that's where it becomes a problem. are a lot of people out there are wasting a lot of money on runners who just decide they want to be coaches, but you wouldn't get legal advice from someone who didn't go to law school, so why would you take your training advice from someone who didn't go to school specifically to study that?
0: I love this. This is great. Because, let's go back to this, the self-proclaimed people all over social media. The gurus. Let's hit it. Yeah. Let's hit it.
2: It's ridiculous. Everybody holds up a shingle nowadays saying that they're a coach or a personal trainer.
0: Like, don't get me wrong dr carp <laughs> but we all are here to you know make a living you everyone needs to make a living at some point if i could brian and i talk about this all the time if we could just podcast all day all night we love it we love talking to people hearing their stories really we are getting educated we're getting a great education from you know people like you the top people in the world and we also though have to pay our bills, you know, our, we can't just be like, hey, kids, I'm sorry, we have no dinner tonight because we were <laughs> podcasting all day. I, there's a point where, you know, there's experience, what is it, You're, you live, it's lived or learned, right? And I think that the most successful people have both. You're learned, you have, you know, have a degree, you've, you've gotten certifications, things like that. But then you've lived it. You've also done it. You've experienced it. And I think there's that disconnect of, you know, social media and everyone out there, all of a sudden, just because, you know, you took a class or, you know, you sat through a day training that you are a complete guru, like you need more. And, you know, again, like with what you're doing with your course, you it's very, like Brian said, it's very, and myself, um, very specific. And there's a lot that goes into it. And it's an ongoing thing. I mean, you're going to take this. You're going to use it. You're going to refer back to it. Um, but that, I think, is important. You, it, just because you ran... You know, you're a trainer and you ran a couple 5Ks doesn't make you an expert on 5Ks, you know, and it's, I think that there's something to be said for that. That makes me nuts.
2: Exactly, yeah. I mean, just because I do my own taxes doesn't make me an accountant. (laughs) (laughs) And,
1: And one thing that I'll even add to that, right? Just going out and finding the fastest guy around, you know, to, to help you with running might not always be the best thing either. Sometimes they have trouble translating what they know and the information that they do. You know, perhaps they're just incredibly gifted and they can run super fast. You know, getting your information, you know, just from that guy, it doesn't always work well either. You know, it's not just like, okay he's the best right like they always say michael jordan makes a horrible basketball general manager because like if you or larry bird was you know frustrated him as a just
0: shoot like just shoot you can't do that like it's just you just do it yeah
1: i don't know i just do it you know it's very it's very difficult for uh you know for some people sometimes to translate you know so i I think
2: think a lot of people i mean there are a lot of uh, former elite runners who are coaches now and And i think people are drawn to that that you know they want to be coached by an olympian it's an attractive thing but people don't realize that that person is a really good runner not because of their expertise about training but because they're very talented you know and that doesn't mean that they know how to train other people you know genetics plays a huge role in in a purely physiological sport like running and so people don't seem to realize that and they're just too quick to to pay for these really good runners as coaches when they don't realize that, you know, just because they run fast, just like what you said, just because they run fast doesn't mean that they know how to train other people. They can run fast because they're genetically gifted to do so.
0: I want the trainer who took someone who did not know how to run and then they ran a race. That's the trainer I want. That's kind of going to give them the, not just the physical, but also they're going to give them the mental support that they need too. Because...
2: Uh, there's a writing a
0: training plan for sure talk to me about your feelings on the like we've talked a lot even the last time you were on here about the you know the physiological um aspects of running and we talked about you know vo2 max and like you were saying again really understanding the science behind these training programs and how to progress that's important talk to me now and talk to our listeners even and even the trainers and fitness pros that are out there about the mental aspect of this because that's something. Again, I mean, your book. I mean, let's talk about that for a second. The inner runner.
1: The inner runner.
0: So what? Yeah, I mean, that was a, a, a great creative process to write that
2: book. I really enjoyed writing that book because it gave me a chance to really look deep within it myself and and try to answer questions that I've always had about who I am and what I've learned through the physical act of running and pushing myself and so uh, yeah between my own voice and the voice of the the stories of people that I told in the book I'm I'm really proud of that because I think that a lot of people can benefit from a book like that and what Ryan teaches you about who you are and and helps you narrow the gap between who you are and who you want to be.
0: So all right. Let's talk to our listeners now who are like, I hate running. Running's awful. <laughs> I, I don't want to run. run blah. What do you tell them about? Because if, if you were to say to me, if I hated running and you were like, it bridges the gap among things and makes you feel better and you find yourself, I'd be like, go F yourself. Right. Running hurts and I hate it. Right. Right. How do you, I mean, how do you translate that? How do you, you know, really get someone to understand that, I guess, is my well,
2: yeah, question. There's going to be people. Tell people is that you know, running is who we are as animals. It's it's something that is very natural. You know, nobody had to teach us how to run when we were kids. We started from a crawl, we went to a walk, and then we went to a run, and it was a natural progression. And every single human being does that on the planet because running is who we are. And so I start with that and show them that uh, that running is is what we evolved to do, and then the reason why most people don't like it you know the ones who don't like it, the reason why they don't is because it's hard you know if you go 30 years of your life without running and then all of a sudden you try to run down the street it's going to be difficult it's not an easy thing to do especially for people who are overweight that makes it a lot more difficult and so i usually just encourage people to just start with you know 30 seconds just run for 30 seconds and then walk for five minutes and run for 30 seconds and walk for five minutes And then over time, as their bodies adapt, then they get to the point where they they oftentimes start to enjoy it because their fitness is improving. And so then they get to the point where they can go and run and not think about it. But when they first start out, it's a very conscious activity. They're thinking about how difficult it is, and they're so wrapped up in that. And that's why they act like they don't like it. But most people quit before the effort becomes effortless. And so if people just stick with it until they get to that point where they can just walk out the door and go for a run and not think of the running and think about other things, then they're going to enjoy it a whole lot more. It's just that most people who start running quit before they even get to that point because they're out of shape and it's difficult. So it's just like a lot of things in life that just because it's difficult doesn't mean you should shy away from it. And that's why running is such a metaphor for life because it teaches you how to deal with physical discomfort. And that
0: can be transferred over to many other areas of your life. I think as adults, I'm sorry, just cut Brian off. No, I, I like jumped the mic for him.
1: I, what I was going to say is, is a lot of times that discomfort doesn't go away when I'm talking to <laughs> to these kids and, and, you know, runners and people that, you know, the, when you do it very well, it hurts a lot, right? right? You know, and, the, and, and, and it's that's definitely something that we learn to make friends with, that discomfort. We better or and else not
0: injury but just discomfort like uh, you're uncomfortable because you're growing
1: the discomfort of running and pace and and you know like i've always said people can ask me i can have your choice you want the mile on the track or the marathon and i, I think that the ma- the mile on the track scares me more than anything
2: yeah, <laughs> it does i mean as you see in our society most people gravitate to the longer
1: distances but yeah I've I've always loved racing the mile, but the mile hurts. The oh, mile's very intense. It's a it's a tough guy's race. Guys and gals. But yeah,
2: most people shy away from that because it is so physically uncomfortable. And most people aren't used to pushing themselves in that way right away when the race starts. Like the marathon has a very different kind of discomfort associated with it. And it doesn't get uncomfortable until you're two and a half, three hours into the race. <laughs> with a mile, starts to feel uncomfortable right away. <laughs> but I think... That's also the beauty of it, is, is managing that, that stress, managing that discomfort. And that's really where the, the mental part comes into play because you, you got to stick with it. It's easy to just back off when it's uncomfortable, but there's a lot of self-talk that goes on in those short races to really push yourself as hard and as fast as you can go. It's very liberating as well.
0: I'm having these. um, This is what I'm thinking. What's going through my mind right now, which is frightening because you never know what's going to go through my mind. However, I'm just thinking of the of the disconnect. So we're we're kids, and you don't really think about. Oh, I'm so uncomfortable, and I'm so. We don't have this mental war with ourselves when we're children, and we're running, and we're. I mean, you may not love to run the mile in phys ed class or things like that, but you do it, and you do it in sports, and and then we get older, and we have these like mind issues. We're like. Oh, this is so tough I don't want to do it and I mean we should be stepping outside of our comfort zone and as a you know as someone who trains athletes and you know really I tell people on a daily basis I want you uncomfortable I want you to struggle and I say it with love because I want you to get better and I want you to progress I don't want you to get injured but I want you to, to be uncomfortable and I think running for people, again, a lot of people don't like to be uncomfortable. We're in a society where, you know, comfort and, you know, just being complacent is okay. And it, I don't think that's okay, personally. I, and going through, going through the last year of... It sounds kind
2: of negative. Yeah. I mean, we, we reward mediocrity in this country. I mean, I remember when I was growing up. To win, to get a medal or a trophy in a race, I mean, you had to place, so you either had to get one of the top three or the top three in your age group. Now, even in 5Ks, everybody gets a medal and they cross the finish line, even if they walked it. So the, we've taken the competition part out of it and you know, everybody's a winner now. Everyone gets a shiny medal at the end of the race and then they, they parade it around on Instagram. And I think that's actually hurting our society. It's making people complacent. And we do that in, in a lot of ways in our society where we reward mediocrity instead of challenging people to become the very best that they can be, whatever that means. You know, Not everyone has to be an Olympic champion. That's impossible for most of the population. But to challenge yourself to be the very best you can be and, and really earn that medal at the end of the race, that's something that we've lost in our society. And now they just give medals out to every single person who crosses the finish line, even if they crawl the cross.
0: See, half of me thinks that it's great that you even did something. So, like, you're promoting movement by that. So, like, I'm torn because half of me is like, Yeah, you're promoting that you moved, you were active. But then there's the other half of me that's like, Well, I know we're just talking about racing, but let's talk about, you know, anything else in life. Like, it doesn't just have to be a race. Like, what if it's, you know, we all get rewarded for sitting around or whatever it is? Um, You know, not fitness related or not something you know, super, you know. Do you know uh, yeah, what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, I
1: mean, I think that it used to be. And, and you know, this is uh, from years and years and years of watching my family run and going to uh, Doc Local Run Lake Takanassi over here, uh, you know, on a Monday night in the summertime and watching, you know, the local road races. You know, it was like the the... the the race itself in your time was was the medal, right? That was the medal. If you ran, if you ran up, you a, were a part of it. If you ran a top race, you might not have gotten that little piece of, of medal, but you you know, but your time was your reward, your award. And now it's it's kind of gotten. And and if you know, if you did run really well and you had to wait and they and they you know had an award ceremony kind of announcements at the end and you got you know you walked up and everyone applauded for you and that was even better, mm-hmm. right? That was something to kind of strive for. They take that away, you know. Now it's it's, uh, and and I'm always of the opinion like I don't need a T-shirt, I don't need a medal. Give me a just cheap money. No, just give me a cheap. No, give me a cheap entry fee, right? I don't need to pay forty five bucks for a five k. And money. Yeah, well, if there's money involved, that's okay. But you know, it's like I'd rather I'd rather you not give everybody a medal, so so I don't have to pay an arm and a leg just to run the the the, the darn race in the first place. That's me. <laughs>
0: All right, all right, Grinch. Grinchy
1: McGrinch.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. We don't need any bells and whistles. I don't even need a t shirt. You know how many race t shirts I have? I can make a quilt. I can make a quilt for
0: my whole family. We could, I mean, if we really want to be obnoxious, we could talk about where we don't know where to put all of our medals from all the years. I say if we really want to be obnoxious. I say we eliminate
1: all the races. Oh Let's just go for a run on a, you know, every Saturday we meet up. I'll say go, and okay. that's it for the glory.
0: <laughs> I love it <laughs> we have problems <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness uh,
1: I want to switch th- I want to turn the page here I want to I turn to something that's of interest to me it's something that I've fallen into uh, in, a, in a great way uh, to help uh, runners and I want to pick your brain about it um, I think that a very uh, underrated aspect of training is uh, strength and conditioning that's not running uh things in the gym that um that i've you know seen even in myself that i'm able to put to use uh you know strength training lightweight training um even with the high schoolers that i work with a little bit goes a long way what are your um studies and what what do you think about that where do you where do, where do you lie on everything there well you know a lot of people know my opinions already about strength
2: training if they've read my books or heard me speak and I mean, it all depends on what your goals are. If your goal is to be a better runner and you don't care about anything else, then any strength training that a person does has to be very specific to running. And so like hill training is the best strength training for runners. Going to a gym and doing traditional kinds of strength training is not gonna make a runner better. You know, it has not been shown to reduce the risk of injury because people are not getting injured because their muscles are weak. That's not a reason. If you look at the research on the etiology of running injuries, the causes of running injuries, I've never seen any research that said that the reason why runners get injured is because they've got weaker muscles. You know, there are other factors involved. And so to improve strength, to improve power, there's lots of other things a runner can do. They can do hill sprints. They can do bounding drills up hills. You know, there's many other things that a runner can do rather than go into the gym and, and do squats. Especially when they're doing that stuff with two legs at a time, because running is one leg at a time. And so anything that a runner needs to do has to be done one leg at a time. Because when you're in a gym, obviously the weaker leg, the stronger leg is going to pick up the slack and and do the job with the weaker leg. So you're not really training the weaker leg as much. So anything that is done has to be done one leg at a time. But... The research has shown that only very heavy strength training, power type training, can improve running economy through its effects on the, the central nervous system and how it recruits muscle fibers. So, you know, strength training does not improve the, the other physiological factors that influence distance running performance. For sprinting, yes, yeah, sprinting is very different, but distance running is all about oxygen consumption whereas sprinting is all about power production. And so if you look at the best runners in the world, you know, from Kenya, Ethiopia, you know, they look very scrawny they obviously don't lift a lot of weights. They're not going to the gym and doing bicep curls and lat pull downs and all this traditional kind of stuff that that Americans tend to do. And so there are other factors that are involved in distance running that don't really lend itself to strength training. So having said that, there may be some times where somebody needs to strength train Like I said before, if someone has been not exercising for 40 years of their life and they've been sitting behind a computer and now all of a sudden they get up and they try to go run, well, there's probably some muscle imbalances. There's probably some weakness in certain areas that if not addressed, they may hurt themselves when they run. So even though running in and of itself protects from future injury because how running itself toughens the the ligaments and toughens the tendons and, and makes everything stronger there may be some isolated strength training that a person needs to do in order to start running and, and protect themselves and not get injured. But if they also just start running and they do it very systematically and very slowly, then their body's gonna to adapt to the stress of running anyway. So strength training may have a place, but it's not the first strategy if you wanna be a better runner. If better strategy is to increase your volume, and then add some intensity, and then over time you increase the intensity, and you get to the point where you increase the volume of that intensity. There are so many other things to address. I would do that first before strength training.
1: So, so durability-wise, you see no uh, impact on on adding strength, and and I'm talking, you know, subtle strength and mobility, even you know, as a package uh, to supplement. Obviously, the most important aspect of training, which is running, uh, your your studies and, and what you've seen don't don't support that. Not real. not not
2: at least to the extent that people seem to think. Because okay. There are, even for the you know the uh, the flexibility, the mobility, there's still running-related things you can do. Like right? as part of the certification program, I go through all the the running technique drills. Those can benefit you not just in terms of practicing the proficiency of the running skill. But because you're doing exaggerated movements, you're also training mobility when you do those drills. So there's more specific things that runners can do than to get on the floor in a crouched position and do all these mobility exercises you see people posting about on Instagram. You always have to think sport specificity, and and what can you do that's going to make the limbs move through the range of motion that they're going to experience in your sport, whether that sport is gymnastics
1: or distance running. I, I agree, and I, and I'm a big fan of running drills, and and uh, you know we put them to use quite a bit from the aspect. So, so a runner gets injured a runner goes to physical therapy a runner is able to rehab and to um strengthen areas of weakness that are are you know possibly causing you know whatever pain or or something to go wrong is there any so there's no benefit to kind of prehabbing that and and getting it into an area where they can you know not nip it in the bud but but you know like you said the the um the the issues of of strengthening both sides and, and and um You know, really making sure that their body is is used equally and not favoring one side or another, things like that.
2: Yeah, there are, but again, it, it comes back to the specificity of running. So yes, there are prehab types of exercises people can do, but they should be running specific. Like back a long time ago, you know, Arthur Littier became well known for the hill training that he would have his athletes do in the 1950s, and 1960s. And the reason why he did the hill training and specifically the bounding type drills, he would do springing up a hill and bounding up a hill. The reason he did that was to serve as a transition from the huge volume of easy running that the runners did to running fast on the track because when you go and do fast intervals on the track, it puts a lot more stress on the calves and specifically the Achilles tendon. And so as a bridge to that, he would do all these bounding drills with his athletes so that they could strengthen their tendon and strengthen their lower leg musculature so that when they went into their anaerobic speed phase on the track, they had the strength to do it and they didn't get injured. They didn't get the Achilles tendonitis and the other things that runners typically get. So I do believe in preparing for the faster training, for the harder workouts, but to do it in a very specific running-related way rather than to go into a gym and do lunges and squats and those kinds of exercises.
0: I have a question for you that I've heard a lot from a lot of fitness professionals and trainers. And when it comes to running, I think what you've just been talking about is exactly the question that I think our listeners would love to hear too because you're saying that um, all of everything that you're saying – and again – these, you know, doing supplemental activities as well. And the the running drills, I mean, all of this is, you know, in your certification and workshop as well. How do you feel though? Because people always say you're in the the sagittal plane and you're only working the sagittal plane. You're not working frontal. You're not working transverse. Do you feel that people are getting injured because they are only really working one plane? Or do you think that, that that's again, um, you know, over-exaggerated? What
2: do you think about that? Yeah, that's over-exaggerated. I mean, running is in one plane. Well, I mean, there are other things. There's also rotational movements going on when you run that are subtle that, you know, people don't know that. So it's not completely in one plane, but, but yes, I mean, that's an exaggerated thing. That's not what the research shows. I mean, there's tons of research. on looking at mm-hmm. the etiology of running injuries and what's really causing them. And, and, uh, you know, the main thing that causes injuries is, is is one, uh, being a beginner runner, you know, and just not being used to the stress of running. So beginner runners are at an increased risk. Number two, the volume of running. Like once you start getting higher than about 40 miles a week, the risk of injury goes up. And then also, you know, things like increasing the stress too quickly. I and mean, that's the main reason why people get injured is because they either increase the volume too quickly or increase the intensity too quickly or some combination of the two. And so again this is a very natural thing humans evolved to run. So why would running cause injuries if it's something we evolved to do? That's not how evolution works. You know the way evolution works is you have some random mutation of a gene and if that characteristic confers some kind of benefit to our survival then that characteristic sticks around. If that characteristic characteristic does not confer some advantage or it confers a disadvantage then that characteristic goes away through you know another thousand years of evolution and so it gets dismissed and so we are who we are because there are advantages to who we are and what we can do because that's the way evolution works so it doesn't even make sense like running people always say running is bad for your knees well why would this activity that we humans evolved to do be bad for your knee that doesn't make any sense and so the reason people are getting injured is just simply that they're increasing the stress too quickly, rather than moving in one
1: plane. Okay. So, what would you say about the chronically injured runner—the one that can't get it together? Whether they go, you know, start from scratch again after being, you know, built, you know, built up, and then you what? Know, what's kind of the cause behind that? Uh, well, they, they're not they're
2: people are treating the symptoms rather than treating the root cause of the injury. And so that takes some digging around sometimes. I mean, usually it's a training mistake. And so if they just correct their training, then they'll be okay. But in some people, you know, they may have a variance biomechanics that need to be corrected. Like maybe they're just a, a huge overpronator and that's not being corrected. And so they may need a different kind of shoe or worst case scenario, they may need a custom made orthotics So they have to get to the root cause. Sometimes weak muscles can be a root cause and they need to strengthen those muscles. But the muscles are probably gonna be strengthened anyway just through the daily act of running. But whatever the problem is, they have to get to the root cause. Maybe you need a gait analysis. You gotta go to a physical therapy clinic and get your gait analyzed to find out if there's something you're doing that's not, you know, that's, that's hurting you rather than helping you. So you have to get to what the cause of the injury is and address the cause so that you don't get injured again in the future.
0: But then wouldn't that strength training help that or no? Well, why? Wouldn't the strength training kind of help that a little bit?
2: Well, it depends. Only it depends. It, you know, it depends if the, the root cause is a, a weak muscle or some kind of muscle strength and balance. So it all depends on what the root cause is root cause is excessive overpronation, strength training is not going to change that. That's the mechanics of the foot and what it's doing when it lands on the ground. And, you know, you may have to do some gait retraining or you may need you know different kind of shoes. So strength training will only get to the root cause if the reason why they're getting injured is because they have weakness someplace that's causing that injury. But that's not usually the case. I've never seen any research that has shown that Weak muscles are the reason why runners are getting injured they may contribute but it's not usually the root cause
1: okay i uh, I wanted to ask you about about gate training and and uh, gate retraining for the purpose exclusively of enhancing performance so you know, we all have a natural way that we run. Some of us heel strikers, midfoot strikers, toe strikers, even the way we move our arms and our, you know, we try and cut down on, on a lot of the, you know, variables of vertical oscillation and arms crossing the body and things like that. What, uh, what do you think about the, uh, you know, is there a, a one preferred way that we must be, you know, you must run in order to um, gather all of your, uh, assets and put them in and, and actually really be able to max out on your running efficiency?
2: Uh, the, the answer is yes and no. Uh,
1: I'll start with the no. Okay. You know, because not everyone has the exact
2: same anatomical configuration between their bones and the, the length of those bones and the width of those bones, there's not going to be just one way to run. I mean, obviously, a woman who's got wider hips, her mechanics is going to be slightly different than a woman who's got narrow hips or a guy with narrow hips. So there's not just one way to run, but there is the, a best way to run for each individual. And that is typically discovered through many hours of running that the human body will adopt its most economical strategy because we're trying to protect ourselves. We don't want to get injured. And so and if people run a lot over time their body is going to adopt what is the best strategy for them to protect themselves, to make themselves the most economical possible. And so the yes answer to that side of it is that there are certain things that all runners need to try to do to maximize their their performance and and decrease the risk of getting injured. And the biggest thing to do is to try to land with your foot as close to directly under your center of mass as possible. If your foot lands out in front of you, then that causes a, a lot of problems. It can cause potential injuries, and it also causes a decrease in performance because you end up slowing yourself down before you then have to reaccelerate into the next step. So you want to minimize the amount of deceleration with every step. And the way you do that is by having your foot land as close to directly underneath your hips as possible so that you have this continuous movement of the pelvis, that you don't have a slowing down of the pelvis when you land and then a speeding up again in the next step and a slowing down and a speeding up. You want to try to have a continuous forward movement of the pelvis. And that can only happen if your foot is landing directly underneath you rather than slightly in front of you.
1: So that's definitely something that we always work on. And, you know, and, and what I always say is that you know people say forefront, you know, toe strike, heel strike, all those things. It's, it's not as necessarily how it lands. It's where it lands. Is that correct? Uh, yes, exactly. I mean some of my research
2: I did when I was uh, working on my, my PhD dissertation, I was looking at mechanics and, and the coordination of breathing. And, and so I was measuring exactly what part of the foot is landing first. And even in very good runners, even when they're running at 5K race pace, many of them will still land with the heel first. It's literally milliseconds before the midfoot, so it's not a severe heel strike. It's almost happened instantaneously that the heel touches down first, then right away, you know, milliseconds later, you get the, the midfoot. But even very, very good runners are doing that. So heel striking is not bad. But if it's a severe heel
1: strike, like if your toe is pointed up in the air when your foot lands, then that means you're landing in front of you. So it's not the heel striking per se. Like you just
2: said, it's the placement. And you'll see that. You'll see a severe heel strike will mean that the foot is landing in front of your center of mass rather than underneath you. Because it's very hard to have a severe heel strike if your foot is landing directly underneath you.
1: Yeah, it's just to keep you from putting the brakes on in a sense with every stride and and you know it just becomes very inefficient and and even overstriding, you know, where we have to pull those hips through the zone uh, in order to to get moving. I watched a um I watched the the slow-mo of the elite pack from the Chicago Marathon that just happened and you know they there was six guys 12 feet right mm-hmm. and they had uh, you know each of them had a little bit different landing spot uh, not landing spot <sighs> but just you know the, some were heel strikers you know which is always something oh he's a heel striker he's slowing down or whatever it's just not the case um, right. you know it's about yeah, placement. yeah and the research doesn't support that either that most people actually are heel strikers
2: and what's going to dictate what part of the foot you land on is the speed if you tell someone go sprint as they as can for 10 seconds they're going to land on the ball of their foot it's the speed that you're running that dictates what part of the foot you land on and even in a marathon the speeds even at the elite level i mean they're relatively slow comparatively to what they can run if they were to race a mile and so yeah most uh, marathoners are still going to land with the heel first literally milliseconds before the the rest of the foot
1: for sure i can even see that in my own sneakers sometimes you know the ones i wear for my Faster workouts, I wear them a little different. I'm a little further up the foot than I am on my daily trainers, which are a little bit further, you know, midfoot to, to you know, even heel a little. <laughs> um, and it's just, uh, you know, experiments of one. You know, we can kind of uh, uh, figure out our own way sometimes just by looking at ourselves. Right. So, what uh, what kind of shoes are you
0: wearing these days? Uh, well, to train in, I, I rotate between uh, a balcony. Sharpie... Cohesion,
1: they're a basic shoe, but I've always felt comfortable with them, and then the Hoka. I love the Hoka Clifton. I like the Clifton's too. I wear them. Uh, I've got a pair that are in the rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're great sneaks. Yeah, uh,
2: I love I mean, when you look at them, people are, like, are afraid of them because they look like they're going to be big and bulky and heavy, but it's actually quite the opposite. You get a lot of cushioning, which I've always loved, and it's a very lightweight shoe.
0: Love it. So... Tell us, what else, what else is on the agenda? What's going on? So you've been traveling all over the place. Now what's coming up? Well, I'm developing uh, this elite team more. So
2: uh, I've got a few runners from around the country to form an elite team. Uh, it's Revolution Running Elite. And uh, we training for the Olympic Marathon Trials in 2020. And so I've got uh, three girls coming up running. I've uh, got one girl running the Philadelphia Marathon next month and two girls running the California International Marathon in early December. So uh, we're looking forward to that. There's another 15 months to be able to qualify for the Olympic trials. So I'm really excited about that. I mean, this is something I've been wanting to organize and coach for a long time is to really develop runners to the elite level because I think that there's still a lot of room at the top. I mean, we, I think we're very far away as a society as to how good we can be in a sport like distance running. We've got over 300 million people in America and yet... (laughs) we're still so far behind in many other countries in the world, I mean, it's the same runners we hear about over and over again, Galen Rupp and Shalane Flanagan, and -hmm. I mean, it's the same runners year after year after year because we don't have anyone who can move up and take their place. So I think that there's a lot of room for improvement and so I'm excited about this. I really have always loved coaching really, really good runners and and pushing them to see how far they can go and, and meet their genetic potential it's very exciting. I'm, I'm
1: excited about this. I'm looking forward to the next uh, few years doing this. That is very exciting. That's uh, good for you. I'm glad that you uh, you know you're putting you're taking the time to put that together. That's that's awesome. I'm running Philly also. I'm, uh, oh, I'm very good. yeah awesome. yeah. I'm uh, it's getting close. You know, I hope your athlete's uh, primed and ready to go. <laughs> oh yeah, she's right, and she's uh, very impressive. She's in her second year of medical school at the same time that she's been training. She's been running over seventy miles a week and doing lots of great workouts. So, yeah, she's really fit. She just PR'd at the half marathon a few weeks ago, running a 122. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, she's, she's, getting, she's really fit right now, and I'm impressed with her to be able to do medical school and
0: train as
2: well. <laughs> right. That's not
1: easy. Hats off. Nice. And one other thing, just following up with you, I have a, a friend of mine who's an elite soccer coach in the country here, and, and he's actually from overseas, he's from Ireland. And uh, and he talks much of the same way that you just spoke about marathon runners, and you know how how as a society we're f- we're far behind in his world of soccer. He says never never in the last you know forty years have as an American ever woken up with a top ten player in the world, right? I know, yeah, it's crazy. Soccer is one of those other sports too. I feel the same way. Yeah, in a country as large as the U.S., there's no reason why we shouldn't be better. But I think part of the issue is that we're diluted. We have so many sports to choose from, so many professions to choose from,
2: that it dilutes any one profession or dilutes
1: any one sport. You want to know another thing that he accounted to? And I think that this is very interesting and I see it all the time. He says the mercy rule. He says in, in the United States, the kids will go out. And if your best player goes out on the field and he scores... Ten goals, and you know they, and he does so well that the other team can't compete. They take him off the field, and and, and he's like, you know, it, it's not always soft and easy, you know, for the other team. He says, but he says, you got a kid that's out there dominating. Let him dominate, right? And and let him shine and be incredible. And eventually, you know, something will happen. Another kid will step up and, you know, it makes everybody around you better, right? You know, you run with better runners, you golf with better golfers. You're going to be better at whatever you're doing. Right, exactly. I really believe that
2: our best distance runners are not running. I think they're off doing something else. I think there are so many people who have the genetic potential, but it's just there's a lot of undiscovered talent. I think we're really bad at talent identification in America. We just, we rest on our laurels. We allow the size of our population to make us successful. And when you have 325 million people, the cream is gonna rise to the top. But if we did a better job of really identifying people who could be good runners
0: and develop them over many, many years, I think we would be a lot better. I should have been a runner. My oldest sister and myself, we shouldn't have played volleyball. We should have been distance runners. Like, she should have been a jumper, and I should have been just a distance something, mid-distance. Like, and you don't know that until you're older, because you're just assimilated into, well, you know, you're you're athletic, so you're good at this, and we've got good opportunities, so here you go. I mean, you just, I feel like, you know, there's not talent scouts out there when you're, you know, younger, always pushing you, and, you know, and, and what you're saying about the country, undiscovered talent, and we could be better, and whatnot, I mean... I wake up every morning and I'm like damn it I can be better you know? I, think, <laughs> I think
1: I think that a, a couple things one one I think that we've discussed it just even in the last hour that the status quo is status quo has been has been the desirable spot to be in which is not a way to get ahead um, you know and and the other thing that that I'm that I'm really seeing which I think is is exciting is that around here there's a Ton of like middle school, elementary school, middle school type of running programs that are, that have developed uh, cross country in the public schools that really didn't exist. I mean, I grew up in the Catholic school environment. Um, my parents were coaches at the Catholic school when I was growing up, so it was there, right? And there was a little league at Ocean County Park and Homedale that that uh, Homedale Park that the kids used to run in. But now it's elementary schools. I mean, small town like my town of Manasquan has a middle school. Uh, you know, cross country team that they compete, and the parents are into it, and it's like it's cheap, right? You have to kind of throw some uniforms on, and and uh, you know, it's 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 the entry cost, uh, you know the the uh, entry cost is low, so that's exciting, and I think that you're seeing a little bit more of it around here. I don't know if it's another running boom or what, you know, what's happening, but I think that uh, it, it's not just all about you know getting them to play the. Soccer in the fall, uh, you know, basketball in the winter, and and baseball
0: in the spring. You know, softball. I'm hoping we're not just living in a bubble. By you saying that, we're, we're hoping that this is like maybe nationwide. I, I think guess. it is, yeah.
1: And and with the internet, the way that these kids are running now, for Christ's sake! The girl, did you hear, uh, Dr. Carp? That uh, Caitlin Toohey just broke that record at Homedale Park last weekend.
2: No, no, I didn't hear about Holmdale. I heard about one of her other
1: that she ran the fastest 5K cross country of any girl a couple weeks ago. But I didn't hear about Homedale. Well, she she uh, she ran on at Homedale Park uh, this past Saturday, and yeah. she broke the course record by a minute and twenty one seconds. She ran a six. She ran a sixteen twenty one 5K wow. at Holmdale.
2: Yeah, no, I remember when it was 1730 uh, something
1: yeah. was the record I mean the standing record was 1727 by you know an all time you know New Jersey great yeah, and this girl is just amazing she's only a junior it's crazy I know
2: she's fantastic so yeah she, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because we have seen stuff like this before you know, with girls it's very tricky because they hit puberty and then a lot of them can't seem to get back to where they were before so we'll see what happens with her but yeah she is she's a phenomenal talent i mean she is literally a, a one in a multi-million
1: it is a little scary i mean I, even at, as a coach what do you do with a talent like that at, at that level
2: yeah you have to not be aggressive i mean it's very easy i mean i talked to her coach actually once or twice and uh and uh, yeah, he realizes the level of responsibility he's got on his hands and yeah, you know, it's very easy to get overzealous and, and push the athlete. And you got to keep in mind that it doesn't matter how good she is now. It matters how good she is at the tail end of high school so she can get to go to college for free, which that's already in the bank for her. And then it matters where she is when she's in her late 20s, early 30s, at the prime of her career. And so she just has to be developed very slowly and systematically over many, many years and not try to do too much too soon.
1: It's, it's tough when you got a racehorse like that. I mean, for, yeah. it's uh, you know it's tough to but pull back where, the
2: ring. Yeah, you know, that's where the East Africans get it right. They just grow up as runners. They run back and forth to school. They're not doing a lot of speed work. They're not racing. They're just developing themselves aerobically. And so by the time they hit their 20s, they are much more aerobically developed than everybody else in the world, and then they can put the quality training on top of that solid aerobic base. And that's the exact opposite of our high school model. We over race the kids.
0: We have interval training, you know, three times a week, every week of the whole school year, and we sacrifice the aerobic development. So With uh, as our time is uh, coming to an end, we could go on forever and ever and ever because this is like you know our wheelhouse, and we're totally enthralled, and uh, could talk about running and racing and for eternity. But tell our listeners right now how they can find you once again, because if they have questions for you or they're interested in, which they should be, getting certified or at least taking the workshop, um, you know. And again, even though you're in San Diego, they could be you know in across the world and find your information. So tell all of our listeners. Uh, well, my personal website is run-fit.com. So that's very easy to remember,
2: runfit.com with a hyphen between run and fit. The uh, certification course website is at revolutionrunning.com. Don't forget the two after O, so it's R-E-V-O-2, revolutionrunning.com. And then all my books are on Amazon. I've got training programs that people can download from the website. It's pretty easy to find me
1: these days. <laughs> Follow <laughs> over Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Jason Karp. Awesome, awesome, I love it. Thanks so much again, Dr. Karp. We uh, we love speaking with you. We'll uh, you know we'll we'll give it another forty episodes or so before we get you back in here. If not, well, maybe sooner.
0: Things are starting to get crazy yeah. over here with the uh, with the podcast. It's been quite a uh, moving and grooving in the last oh, that's year. Great. That's exciting. Get more people to listen. That's awesome. Very exciting. So you know, all the way up, Doctor Carp. That's all. That's the only way to go. That is it. So we will, we will get all of your information up again. Send you links. Blast it out. Hopefully, all of our new listeners will, um, will get on board and definitely check this out because it is absolutely worth it. People, we need to educate ourselves. And um, if you haven't, you know, gotten into running, it's time that you do because we're trying to get younger by the day. Mm hmm and with that said thank you so much Dr. Karp uh, thank you my pleasure oh my goodness and we will be in touch and with that said my name is Christine Conti, and I'm Brian Prendergast and we are Two Fit Crazes and a microphone we are where it's
1: at peace